0: Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Today on the podcast, we are beginning a series we're doing for the next couple of weeks called "Life Connected." A series, kind of done a similar series a couple of times in the past, but this one we're kind of looking at some different things than we have in the past. So um, today we're going to be looking at the subject of money, generosity, what role money plays in the Christian life, and how Christians ought to handle money quick note about the audio on this one. its The audio level is a little high, so it we, will sound distorted in a few spots, but for the most part, uh, you should be able to listen to it just fine. So, let's go ahead and head to talk. North Vineyard Church, downtown Covington. Thanks for listening. So I'm going to do this Life Connected series for the next few weeks, looking at a little bit more specific examples of how we can approach aspects of our lives in a way that we can connect with God, connect with authentic Christian community, connect with those outside the church, and experience connection with our own hearts and what God is doing within. So to start off this series, I figured we'd talk about money. Yeah, no nobody was excited about that <laughs> you know, like i I have i got I to be honest I'm not a big fan of talking about money is anybody a big fan of talking about money in here well yeah you're a finance major okay you that's kind of like if you didn't like it you'd be miserable for the rest of your life um, m- there are very few things that make people as uncomfortable as talking about money. I mean, we're okay with giving our opinion on the national debt and taxation. We can talk about that all day, but when it comes to your own personal finances, we don't like to do that, do we? I mean, it's, it's right up there with talking politics, sex, religion. We, we get very uncomfortable because oftentimes when we look at our own personal finances, it's, we don't like, to pay attention to it because oftentimes it reveals to us where our priorities actually are, or it reveals how much money we spend on eating out a month or certain things that we'd rather not know. I think for many people, they'd rather go to the dentist than to talk about money. And that's just regular people. But as a pastor, I'm really uncomfortable talking about money. If you've been here in the last seven and a half years, I think I've talked about money twice. So you're catching number three. Um, Why am I uncomfortable talking about money? Because I can say that in the two plus decades that I've been in ministry, I have seen more abuses and unethical behaviors and wacky theology concerning money than any other issue in the church. And I've seen a lot of crazy things done by all kinds of Christian leaders throughout the body of Christ when it comes to money that I think... I, can, I, I have no wonder why people are turned off by the church and want to leave the church because when we see people wanting to spend $6 million, $60 million on an airplane or people living in, you know, pastors living in 25,000 square foot homes and driving Rolls Royces and all this stuff, not to mention just other abuses of money along the way, I've just kind of gotten to the point where like, maybe I'm just not going to talk about money. I don't want to be associated with that kind of thing. I mean, the first church that I was ever a part of here in Louisiana when I moved here from Texas, um, and, and some of you may have experienced something like this if you went to more of a charismatic uh, evangelical church. But the first church that I went to, and I'm thinking of trying this, actually, uh, the first church that I went to would, would have a 15 to 20 minute sermon every week before they passed the offering basket. And if the pastor was really feeling it, you might get a 30 or 45 minute message. And that was before the actual message, which would be, would be in church a long time. <laughs> Although I did find out a couple of years ago that this particular church that I was going to, the pastor actually got a 10% cut of whatever was taken in every Sunday, right off the top. In addition to a salary and of a church of about a thousand people, that's, I don't know. I, I smell money. Um, I can see why he probably spent so much time talking on money because he had a very vested interest in every single one of those offerings. And so it is for this reason that oftentimes as a pastor, I've just steered away from talking about money. But I don't think that's really fair just because there's abuses in the culture, abuses in the church to keep silent about it. I think the proper thing we ought to do is talk about how money actually can be a point in our lives of discipleship. I really can think of very few ways that that reveal our heart or can even change our behavior more than getting down to the way we hold, the way we spend our money, the way we use our money to value the things that are important to God and to us. So, I'm going to talk about money. Now, I've rewritten this message about four times, so... Uh, It's a little bit more of a teaching than uh, the typical thing, but I want you to be thinking as I get started here, if you got any questions about money and the church, uh, we're going to have a little Q&A at the end. Does that sound fun? Or should we just start with that? No, we'll wait. We'll wait till the end. You you can't ask any questions. I know your kind of questions, (laughs) Skylar. Just kidding. You can ask a question after church is over. No. (laughs) Um, The first thing I want to say is we have to have respect for money. We have to beware of using money. Back in the 60s, there was this guy named Marshall McLuhan, which was a, a media guru, and he famously noted the medium is the message. Now, he was referring to media out there, whether written media or spoken media or TV, and I think you can certainly apply it to the internet, and the idea was that our interaction... We tend to think of media, like, say, the internet. We, we think of the internet as being a neutral technology. The internet's not bad. It's just whatever you put on the internet that, that can be either good or bad. The internet can, you know, raise money for people in third world countries who need water wells, or it can be a place for pornography and, and, and you know, awful things. But the, the internet itself is not bad or good, and that's the way we typically think of it. Marshall McLuhan, though, says that the medium is the message, what does he mean by that? He means that the internet, for instance, will profoundly affect your mind much more than any content embedded within it. We think that the content's the only thing that changes us, but there's actually been studies in recent years where they take, I don't know where they find these people, but they find somebody that's never used Google or Wikipedia and they put them in an MRI machine and they get them to start using Google. Within 10 minutes of using Google, their brain is already starting to light up in new places. 10 minutes. And I'm thinking, maybe this is why I'm so distracted and I can't pay attention to stuff more than about five minutes these days because our minds are actually being rewired just by simply interacting with technology. Yes, the technology is neutral, but it affects us. And I would apply the same thing to money. Money itself I don't think is good or bad. But money has a way of shaping us the more that we handle it. And if you start messing with money, if you start messing with money, kids, uh, without respecting it, without being sober and wise and diligent, it can take the person with the most purest motives and take them down a path they never wanted to go. It money's destroyed churches, it's destroyed marriages and all kinds of things. So I want to read a couple of things first to, to give us a little warning about money before we get into the main stuff. Psalm 62 verse 10. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Proverbs 30:23 verse 4 and 5. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Tick, tock, da, 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 da. Ecclesiastes 5:10 Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. 1 Timothy 6, 6-12 through 12. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we bought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I could go on... But those are just a sampling of scriptures that warn us of the dangers of pursuing money. Now, notice, often this gets misquoted, money is the root of all evil. Paul didn't say money is the root of all evil. He said the love of money. It is the desire of it. But one thing I've noticed in my life, and I don't know if you've noticed this, the more money you get, the harder it is to let go of. Anybody ever notice that? That just me. Is it just my own personal struggle? I feel so alone. Well, I'm going to share my struggle. You know, with the first three or four years that Dina and I were married, we were poor. I mean, like a couple thousand dollars below the poverty line in Louisiana, which is a couple thousand dollars below the poverty line in any other state except Mississippi. We're always fine with Mississippi. Uh, we didn't have much. We were living in some dumps. I mean, places where uh, you know bugs in the walls, and every time it rained, we had fifteen little buckets to catch everything and um, But we determined early on that we were going to set aside a portion of our income to give, and all those years that we were living in poverty, we gave we were generous now the funny thing is. As the years progressed and and my income started progressing and now more and more things were provided for, you would think that it would get easier to give. Like, now we got more money to give. But now I began seeing that now the more that my bills are taken care of, the, the more that I have coming in, the harder it actually became to let go of it. That's what money does, Oftentimes. So I want to look at a couple of aspects, and we're going to be talking about giving within the church this morning, but not just in the church exclusively. But the first question is uh, about the motive. (laughs) Why should we give our money? You know, when I was a young Christian, the the churches that I was a part of, the the ones that would have the 20-minute offering (laughs) uh, sermon each week, um, often... The compelling reason to give was that you didn't want to be cursed. You know, it was kind of superstitious. Like if I don't give this 10% of my income, God's going to curse me. Anybody been around churches that did that? The rest of y'all bless you. You're, you <laughs> um, I remember giving a lot of times because they'd get up and they would preach this message on Malachi three. And in Malachi three, it says, you've robbed God. And then they say, well, how have we robbed God? You've robbed him in tithes and offerings, and you are cursed with a curse. Why don't you bring your tithes to the storehouse, and God's going to open up the windows of heaven. And, and I heard this message usually about five or six times a year, and I didn't want to rob God. And so I would be putting stuff in because I was afraid I'm robbing God, and I don't want to be cursed. So sometimes we give out of fear. Sometimes we give out of guilt and manipulation. Sometimes we give because we are told, and I've heard many televangelists say this, you know, if you give, you know, a thousand bucks tonight, right here, God's saying this right now, you're going to have a 30, 60, 100 fold increase right now. I guarantee it in the next three months. It's the best investment you can make. I'm not stretching the truth. There's a lot of guys who say this stuff. And, and there's people who often go poor Sometimes the most exploited people by televangelists are the ones who have the least amount of money because they're trying to put their hope that maybe if I, if I invest all that I have, maybe I'm going to get this magnificent return. And there's some prosperity gospel preachers that are going to have to answer to God for that stuff. I almost cussed there, but I didn't. There's going to be some guys that have to answer for this one day, for all the people whose lives they've ruined for doing that. Guilt, manipulation, even trying to get wealthy, none of these are good reasons to give to God. Give to the church. What is a good reason? God. We give. We are generous with our money simply because God is generous and we're his kids. Matthew 5, 43 through 48 says this. This is Jesus speaking. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Lots of rain this morning, by the way. Jesus is saying, "We." he's asking us, to love our enemies. Why does Jesus ask us to love our enemies? Because our Father in heaven loves our enemies and loves his enemies. That's it. That's the motive that Jesus, and Jesus certainly isn't uh, specifically talking about money here, but I think when it comes to money and the spiritual life and generosity, we want to be generous because the God we serve is generous. And if we're not generous, oftentimes it's because we have not recognized the very generosity of God towards us. But when we recognize God's generosity towards us and we shut our hearts off to that, it's kind of like the, 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 the servant who was forgiven by the king and then goes out and, you know, strangles a guy who owes him 50 bucks. It's, it's, it's uh, slapping God in the face for his mercy. We give in response to the amazing generosity of God. Secondly, we give because in giving money, it is a concrete way of this beautiful commandment that we have on our walls from Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. When we give of our finances, it, it keeps us from letting our love descend into just mere sentimentality. I find a lot, of, a lot of Christians love the idea of God being loving. Yes, God is unconditional love, but oftentimes we just keep love in a, a very abstract sense. And then sometimes when these people get in, in real situations in the world with aggravating people, they're not very loving at all. <laughs> when we give of our finances, when we give of our gifts, when we give of our times, our talents... It's a concrete way to actually express something uh, of God's love to other people and to express that back to God. And it rescues us from love becoming merely sentimental. So that's a little bit on the why we give. The second is, how should we give? Now, this is, this is a passage where Paul is talking about uh, specifically in the church. But in 2 Corinthians, I think it's on the front of your bulletin, The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know what I say pretty much every time I take, uh, I get the, receive the offering, whatever we do here, pass the basket. I say, if you've come in here prepared to give, then drop something in the basket when it comes by. Why do I say it like that? It's not just a simple thing. This is rooted in this passage. Uh, Paul says that God loves a cheerful giver. He doesn't want you to give because you feel guilty or you're under compulsion or you're being manipulated. Uh, that, That You would actually ask God, what can I give? You decide in your heart before you even show up on a Sunday morning or if you use online giving, whatever, that that, that you decide in your heart. So it's not a matter of, of just making an emotional response or feeling bad, but that you can do it cheerfully. And he goes on to say, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work as it is written. We don't give to get blessed. We give because in Jesus, we are blessed. And I love what he says here. You will, made, you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous. You'll be made rich. Why? So you can be generous. We, this is where I, I, I often find the prosperity gospel goes off the rails because it's like you'll be made rich because God loves you and he wants to bless you. Well, here's the deal. You are not the point. You are not the point. You are a point in the story of what God's doing. God has invited you to participate in what he's doing with your time, your talents, and even your money. And there is something that Paul is talking about here, which is called sowing and reaping. And Paul is talking about money here, by the way. He's he's specifically talking about sowing money and, and reaping. But it's not a get-rich-quick formula. It's not that we just give our money to the church and expect that that we're going to get rich in our bank account. Uh, We will get rich spiritually. You know, that practice that Dina and I started early in our marriage of setting aside a, a portion of our income to be generous with, that very practice began shaping us from the very beginning of our marriage. And we've hit some very hard times along the way, times where we couldn't pay the bills, times where I didn't know how I was going to afford things, times where we had medical bills, all kinds of things. But over time, when you learn to live on the other portion of your income that's not set aside for generosity, you learn to not be so attached to money. And when you get into crazy situations, you don't get freaked out and anxious that this is going to take you down because you learn that by being generous, you, God, God is going to take care of you. You learn that, that you're not attached to your stuff or your money or your possessions, that God has got you. I'm going to keep reading this Corinthians passage. This service that you perform... Uh, Paul is actually talking about their donations to the church, is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself, men will praise God for their, the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and everyone else. The last aspect that I want to talk in, in this... this. Uh, in this section of how we give, it comes from the Jesuits. The Jesuits have this practice called indifference or detachment when it concerns money and stuff. And I read a book a few years ago by a guy named Chris Lowney who was a Jesuit priest who became a vice president at J.P. Morgan and really learned how a lot of the things he learned as a Jesuit priest could be applied in the world of finance. And this is what he says concerning Indifference. He said, the role model for Jesuit indif- indifference rids himself of the attachment to the money. But in such a way that there remains no inclination either to keep the acquired money or to dispose of it. In other words, the money is not the issue. The problem is slavish attachment to money or to anything else. Inordinate attachments fog one's visions. I might have first pursued a lucrative job so that I could provide for my family, but somewhere along the line, money itself became my goal, and my family became a neglected second. The end became confused with the means. Only by becoming free of prejudices and attachments, and therefore free to choose any course of actions, do recruits become strategically flexible. The indifferent Jesuit liberates himself to choose strategies driven by one motive only, achieving his long-term goal of serving God by helping souls. I love that. See, see the, the, the idea is not that we treat money as good or bad, but that we learn how to not be attached to it so that we can be clear-headed and make the decisions that we feel the Holy Spirit is inviting us to make without being clouded by our attachments. This is what it means to live free. Getting awful quiet up in here. The third, or the next thing I want to talk about is where do we give? (laughs) We give to the church organic and we give to the church organized. I'd say, other than North Shore Vineyard, every church I've ever been in, when it comes to giving, we only talk about giving to the organized church. The this this thing that, you know, where we have a building and we have a service and children's ministry and all that. Um, But it didn't start that way in the church. In Acts it says, all the believers, this is right after the Holy Spirit is poured out in Acts chapter two, it says, all the believers were in one heart and one mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had And with great power the apostles continued to testify of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he or she had need. Isn't that interesting? That when the Holy Spirit was poured out and the church was born, one of the first things that we see Christians doing, the first followers of Jesus that are empowered by the Holy Spirit, one of the first things that we see them doing is opening up their hands and sharing their stuff with one another. Like that was their response to the spirits doing is they just started taking care of one another. Now, a lot of you don't know this. Because you don't see this. And a lot of this stuff kind of goes on <laughs> in hidden ways in the church. But as a pastor, I get a little window into this community. And I got to say, uh, I see some tremendous generosity within this church. I mean, even Judy was saying at our staff meeting the other day, the, the blessing bags for the homeless members of our community. Uh, man, we got more than we know what to do with now. Uh, thanks to y'all for the last couple of weeks bringing donations on that. But I have seen... Time and time again, people in this church who are going through a difficult time uh, in their finances or with sickness and people begin showing up and helping them with meals, people step up and help folks out with money or even sharing their possessions. I've seen this over and over and over, and I see it on almost a weekly basis in this church. I get to see it. Most of y'all don't see that. And and I love that because to me that is a sign of health and, and people responding to the spirit moving in our community is you know, you, if you see somebody in the church that's in need, you don't, if you have the means, you don't have to call me up and say, Hey, do we have some money in the benevolence account that we can help this family? If you have a means of helping them, ask the spirit if that's what you're supposed to do and you can cut out the middleman. You know, Dean and I, um, I got to watch out cause this is probably going to go a few minutes long, but I'm going to try to talk fast. Dean and I. In our first few years of marriage, we went to a lot of churches that did the Malachi chapter 3 message about robbing God. And I didn't know a whole lot about studying the Bible at that point. But at some point, I was like, it really just sounds like they're pulling this thing out of its Old Testament context and trying to make it apply in a way that I don't think it's intended to apply. And I just look at at Dina one day, and there was this very well-known minister that was passing through. And he was doing the Malachi 3 message. And I looked over at Dina and I said, we are not tithing anymore she's like, what do you mean? We're going to be cursed with a curse. I was like, we're not going to be cursed with a curse. We're not going to tithe anymore. Now, I didn't say we weren't going to give because we still, we'd been in the practice of setting aside about 10% of our income for several years before then. I said, we're still going to give, but what we're going to do now is we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us the ways that we can give. And we're going to do this for a year. I'm going to test God on this. It says test God in that passage. I'm going to test God because I don't think we're going to be cursed. And what began to happen in my life began to transform me. And that's why I do this as a part of this Life Connected series because we began to connect with God, connect with other Christians, and connect with needs in our communities in a way that revolutionized my experience of church. So every month we began asking the Holy Spirit, please reveal to us where we should give this money the first month we found that there was this, this guy named Dwight who, uh, was a mentally disabled man who used to come to our, um, our, uh, college ministry. And he was a member of the church that we went to. He lived right across the street from the church. And we found out that he'd gone a few weeks without any electricity living right across from the church. So the first thing we did we turned his electricity back on. We paid his back bills. The next month, we're like, God, what can we do? To, where can we give this money? And, and, and keep in mind, again, we're, we're dirt poor at this moment, too. So it's not like we had tons of money. But we asked God the next month. We found a, a, a single mom. who who couldn't afford to buy formula and diapers for her kids. So we bought her formula and diapers. The next month, we found another need and another need. And a lot of times, we would just give it to the church. But now, it was not some rote thing that we did, just dropping a check in the offering each week because that's what you're supposed to do, or because we felt guilted or afraid that we were going to be cursed or because we were trying to get rich. Now, we were participating with God in what He was doing in the world. And now, it became exciting and fun and I've never gone back. So what are you saying? Are you a preacher who doesn't agree in tithing? I, here's the deal. I don't think tithing is a New Testament concept at all. I don't think you can make that case by looking at the New Testament that, that any Christians are under any obligation to give 10% of their income. So I don't agree with tithing from that standpoint. I do agree that tithing is a great discipline, though. And I think if you want to practice a spiritual discipline in your life that will bring forth fruit, get in the habit of setting aside a portion of your income just for generosity. Now, maybe, maybe you think 10% of your income is crazy at this moment. Well, that's fine. Maybe start with... or 2% maybe start with $20 a month and just say, God, this $20, I'm going to invite you to show me how I can be a blessing with this money and put a goal to start working your way up a little bit. I got to tell you, it's a lot more fun than it with the other way. So we give to the church organic. We take care of one another I have been the recipient of people helping me financially when I've gotten into some difficult places in my life. But I've also been able to be the person who helps other people out when they're going through stuff. And i got to tell you, that's a wonderful thing about being the body of Christ is when we can carry each other's burdens even when they're financially and help each other out. And I think... You know, when you look at the early church in the book of Acts, they really stood out as a completely alternative group of people because they were acting in a way that nobody acted in the world. And I think it's when it comes to our money and taking care of one another, I think that's one of the concrete ways that the world will know that we are Jesus' disciples. Why? Because we love one another. Not just in word, not just in emotions, but in actual actions. So we give to the church organic, but we also give to the church organized. You know, we I love this little building that we get to use and the sound system and and our little children's building across the parking lot, even though I know you guys didn't get to go over there today. I could let you out now. I know y'all are miserable. (laughs) It's almost over, though. Um, But we got to pay the bills. This thing that we do together, it it takes money to run it. And I'm not getting down to my final plea today. I'm not going to ask you for any money. We already did that. Um, But here's the deal. I... I went through a great struggle back in the late '90s, early 2000s. I was just anti-institutional church, anti-organized religion, and I was just—I did this thing for a while where we were just meeting in a house and just doing our own thing because, man, I don't need pastors, I don't need buildings. And uh, but I've—I've come to see over the years that there really is value in organized church. I think organized church can go off the rails and and oftentimes does. I think sometimes churches are way too organized and not flexible enough, but there's been a few things that I've seen. And I think a lot of that comes down to not only the worship and coming together and having deliberate intentional community where we all come and break the bread each week and sing worship songs, but even concerning outreaches, you know, back in hurricane Katrina, I was a part of the vineyard on the South Shore, and we just got this new building. And we were scheduled to have our first service, and then a few days before the first service, Hurricane Katrina showed up, and all of a sudden, we lost like over half the people in the church, and we didn't even have church services for about a month, and the first service was like you know, 20% of the, the normal people. But what began to happen over the next few months, we, we set up a relief camp. We, we were cooking for 20 blocks of FEMA trailers twice a week. We were hosting job fairs. We were hosting teams from all over the country, different denominations who were going out and gutting homes and then rebuilding homes and all this stuff. And, and it began to occur to me for the first time back in Katrina that for all the messed up stuff that happens oftentimes in organized religion, there is exponentially more that we can do when we pull our resources together and, and come together to do that. I saw this in the last year. Last year, we were able to respond to two floods, the one in the spring and then the one last August. And gosh, I hope we don't have another one of those this year. I hope we get a little break. But, you know, we, get, we, we fed thousands of people on those outreaches. And what's more is I had friends of mine who were atheists who don't believe in God who don't go to church who could care less about church who are my friends, and they started sending money to our church because they saw what we were doing <laughs> and here's the deal if we weren't organized it'd have been me with a little little small you know <laughs> burger grill out there by myself or one of you you know. But the fact that we were organized and we had a place that we could do this, it gave us the ability to respond to the needs of the, uh, of the community instantly. I mean, we just showed up out at Robert the first day. There's nothing going on out there. We didn't even know what we're doing. And we just set up and and, and we were able to start taking care of the needs of people, which is what we want to do. And I got to tell you, in the next few weeks, we're going to be announcing different initiatives that we're working on to participate in, in helping people in this community that need it the most. And, and when it comes to organized church I think this is where this is where it really becomes clear how much when we pull our resources together we can do a lot more than any of us could do on our own. So that's my apologetic for organized religion, or at least this version of it. So we give. To the church, organic. We take care of the people around us, the needs that we see in this community, but we also pull our resources to do things that are bigger than any of us could do on our own. And I don't really have a a, a huge um, ending for this other than a few questions for you to go to with the Holy Spirit. The first question is, how is the Spirit inviting me to live in more simplicity so that I have more margin in my finances? You know, if, if you need to meet with somebody about your finances and, and try to get it, Josh has volunteered a few times. He hadn't volunteered lately, but I assume Josh would be up to it. Josh is on our board and he's doing a great job kind of helping us navigate financial things. But by, by the way, we've got, we've got an awesome board. We've got some guys. I, I got a lot of guys on my board that know stuff about business. Cause I don't know nothing about business. And, uh, and they, they help keep this thing <laughs> on track and, and our budgets going, um, But one of the things you might want to ask yourself, if you can't currently, if you can't even think of giving, maybe it's because you're maxed out on credit cards, maybe you're not living in simplicity, maybe you need to sit down with somebody who can help you figure out, because oftentimes if you're not living in simplicity, if you get somebody to help you work out a budget, you'll find you actually have more money than you thought. Secondly, who are the people with whom I am connected that the Holy Spirit is inviting me to help financially or with my gifts, talent, or time at this moment? Ask yourself, God, are there some needs in this community, in this church, some people that, that, that you're, you're maybe inviting me to help? The third one, am I disciplined in setting aside a portion of my income for generosity? If not, how might I be able to start? Just think through these things. Now we're going to pass the offering one more time. Just kidding. <laughs> All right. I I got time for a couple of questions. If anybody's got any questions, I don't really have time, but what's your question? Can you go? I'm sorry. We missed the window. It rained so much. And if you got over there now, you'd be getting there right when we're shutting the door. Great question about money though. (laughs) I know you raised your hand like 20 minutes ago and I didn't acknowledge it at the time. That, that came from the passage in Timothy. Uh, so Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 12, it often gets quoted, money is the root of all evil. Money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money that is the root of all evil. So it is our desire for money and wanting more money that gets us in a, in a bad spot. Anybody else? Yeah, I mean, and, and I'll, I'll speak personally. I mean, other pastors are probably going to disagree with me. I, I, I'm, I'm unique <laughs> among all my pastor friends on, on my views on tithing. So I'm, obviously I feel like a bit of an outlier in this. But yeah, I just feel as long as you're asking the Holy Spirit and trying to be led by the Spirit, that that's all I want anybody to do. So, you know, if if, if you give to this church, hey, we're not going to turn it down. But the ultimate thing, I want every one of you to... Uh, I, I want us all to grow in Christ's likeness And so God's putting on your heart. If you've got money set aside, God's put a need in front of you, and you're like, God, should I help this person or give it to the church? And, and you feel like the Spirit's leading? Go for it. Don't, don't give it to us. Help out. Anybody else? All right, so Uh-oh, so theology guy. The concept, concept, yeah. Yep. Matthew 23, 20, Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law, and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So it, it sounds to me like Jesus is saying, Hey, tithe, but do more than that. So Yes, and if anybody wants to bring your tithe and cumin or mint or dill... Yeah, I mean, I agree. In that context, I don't think Jesus... I I, I don't think he's telling him not to tithe. And and this is where I say, I I personally don't think tithing is a mandated thing. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think that's about the only passage in the New Testament that you can find specifically addressing it. Don't really find Paul talking about tithing or anything at all. So I... But... That's to say, I think if you're not disciplined in a practice, you're never going to get the rewards of it. So for me as a, a musician, if I fail to practice my instrument, then when I'm playing a gig and it comes time for me to do a solo... Uh, I'm not going to be very good at what I want to do because I haven't done the hard work of the discipline along the way. And in, in a way, I look at tithing or, or disciplined giving, whatever you want to call it, I look at that the intentionality is formative. It's the regular practice of doing it that actually bears fruit in our lives so that when a crisis comes or a need arises that we don't get all anxious and crazy because we're already in the habit of learning to be generous. So we're not having to work that up on the moment. So um, yeah, I I think what Jesus was saying there is like, yeah, um, if you're just tithing and you're just a jerk and you're not growing it, then like stop being a jerk. But you don't have to stop tithing, you know, like. okay, yeah. Thank you very much. (laughs) Um, I think also what that passage is saying is that tithing is not subject to just one group, that there are many different groups, like uh, tithing of your time. If you recognize that someone is going through something difficult and their house is a mess and they need to clear their headspace and they need to get their life in order, then you go help them clean their house. Someone with a lot of children, if you have extra time, watch the children for them. Take them to go play. Um, That that doesn't mean, oh, because I did this act, I'm going to... Give less money. They're all in different groups. Bring your cue in. Bring your help. Bring your listening ear. Bring your empathy. Bring in all of those areas. Yeah. That's great, yeah. Because I, I think really for some people giving money is not hard at all. Giving of your time uh, and, and sometimes giving of your time is, is one of the most precious gifts you can give somebody to just sit there and be with them in, in their sickness or, or, or their difficulty. Um, things like that. Yeah, I think that's great. And, and I would say in the new Testament, the new Testament doesn't explicitly teach tithing, but if you look at the early church, they acted as if everything was God's. And I think that's a great attitude. If you just say, Hey, it's all God's anyway. Um, then, then you can be willing to take your hands off of it, uh, as needed. Um, I would let us do some more questions. If you got some, you can bring them next week, and I'll try to answer them. But we've gone way over today, and we need to let the children, let the the the, the workers let the children go across the street. By the way, we just did some wonderful updates to the children's ministry this last weekend. So we got some new floors and stuff. If uh, you can go check it out. And um. all right, well, Lord, we just pray that. Uh, we would be open to what you're doing, God, that you would lead us in this discipline of generosity, God, that you would help us to be generous the way you are. God, give us wisdom when it concerns our finances, and help us to to, uh, express love in in, in concrete rather than just sentimental ways, God, that, that the world could see that we are your disciples by the way that we love one another. And, God, we pray for all the kids that are getting ready to go to school this next week. Um, we pray for your protection. We pray for the teachers. We pray for all that are involved in the education, God, that, that your, your blessing would be upon them, God, and this, is, this would be a great year for them, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And tell the children's workers back there, I'm sorry. You know, I get talking about money. I can't stop. Ah. God bless you all.